This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nan. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have a really great show today. A lot of great stories, news to cover, and analyses. A lot going on, obviously, in Palestine and the greater Middle East. We're only going to look at a snapshot of a, a few things. In keeping with its ongoing failure, the apartheid state of Israel and its spy division, the Mossad, continue to engage in a history of really amazing failures. The most recent failure is that two agents were arrested in Lebanon. We're going to cover that story. Another kind of bizarre story coming from the apartheid state, Jamal is the Israeli Minister of Heritage, now listen to this carefully, said that there's no apartheid in the West Bank but it is a prison. So we're going to try to understand that. I call it a Trumpism, <laughs> this kind of crazy, it's true and not true at the same time. But frankly, my favorite story today is going to be about a yet another crazy Israeli Knesset member uh, shooting himself in the foot. This is Ben Gavir calling the, probably the world's most famous, extraordinary, and successful model, Bella Hadid, calling her an Israel hater for a post she, she uh, made on a comment that he made. He basically made a comment saying, uh, Palestinians don't have the same rights to freedom that the Israelis do. And that's why, you know, they're in this apartheid condition and, you know, we'll break it down. All Bella Hadid said was, huh, in 2023, shouldn't we be talking about everybody having the same equal rights? She got slammed by uh, Ben Gavir and a number of other pro by a racist terrorist yeah, ba Ben Gavir. Basically, <laughs> yeah, it's we're going to unpack it. But before we get to those stories, Jamal, we're going to hear an interview that you did with uh, Dr. Rabab Abdul Hadi. She's discussing a recent article that she posted in Mondovis entitled "Why We Created the Institute for the Critical Study of Zionism." So Dr. Abdul Hadi and Dr. Heidi Shakhtin explain why an institute like this is long overdue to provide the counter-narratives to propaganda by the Israeli lobby. The institute is going to be dedicated in an intellectual and academic way to distinguish between Judaism and Zionism. It's a great interview. Well, just I can't wait, and I think it already started, that text that's going to be lobbed on uh, Dr. Abdel Hadi, it's not like she needs more of this, but again, <laughs> she's a person of a principled person and a scholar. And and we've talked, and she'll talk also uh, about uh, the, these attacks that she encountered uh, attacking her at San Francisco State University by uh, the Zionist lobby, and, and then, of course, with the support of uh, different organizations in the Bay Area, and of course, the harassment she has been receiving uh, from the administration at uh, San Francisco State University. Let's watch the interview. Israel defenders are actively lobbying to have Zionism recognized as the definitive expression of Jewish liberation. Their goal is to codify all criticism of Zionism and by extension Israel as anti-Semitic. Israel advocacy lobbies exert powerful pressure on policy decisions in the United States and throughout Europe and weaponize anti-Semitism to muzzle debate or criticism of Israel. In spite of Israel's racist nation-state law, apartheid system, ethnic cleansing, and pogroms of indigenous Palestinians, any outcry against this by human rights activists, politicians, or academics is decried as being anti-Semitic. In the recent article in Mondowis, Why We Created the Institute for Critical Study of Zionism, Rabab Abdelhadi and Heike Shoten explain why such an institute is long overdue to provide counter-narratives to propaganda used by the Israel lobby. The institute will also distinguish between Judaism and Zionism. Professor Rabab is here, Abdel, Professor Rabab Abdelhadi is here with us today to talk about this research initiative. She is the founding director and senior scholar of Arab and Muslim ethnicities and diaspora studies program at San Francisco State University. She was recently awarded the Dejer Bakarak Service Award of the Middle East Studies Association, MESA. 
Professor Abdelhad, welcome again to Arab Talk. Uh, thank you, Jamal, for having me on Arab Talk and thank you and Jess for holding consultation truth and justice. So let's begin. I'm going to begin. I have a lot of things to cover, but let's begin by this very much needed institute. There is no central organization to examine Zionism, its history, its influence. Yet there are so many organizations who advocate Zionism. Talk about what you and Dr. Shorten envision for this institute. Yes, uh, me and Dr. Shorten are actually part of a founding collective of the Institute for the Critical Study of Zionism. And this was our responsibility to take the, to write this article. And one of the reasons why we thought that it was really important is because historically, the, the, the quote-unquote legitimate academic study of Zionism, the legitimate academic study of anti-Semitism, the legitimate academic study of Israel, all are housed in departments of Jewish studies, in departments of Israeli studies, in the Israeli academy. And anybody who dares, whether it is Palestinians, whether it is non-Palestinians, anti-Zionist Jewish scholars, scholars of all kinds, anybody who cares about human rights and justice for all, speaks about this, is labeled as anti-Semitic, and there is the attempt by the pro-Israeli uh, lobby industry to label anyone who criticizes Israel, who criticizes Zionism, and consider it a settler colonial uh, project uh, as anti-Semitic in order to this, this, uh, remove us, erase our presence, and delegitimize what we're doing and label us as a politics of hate. So you make, you make a very important distinction, distinction in the Institute's focus on expanding the study of Zionism, Zionism well beyond the Jewish studies. That's a very important context where it is now located. What are the overarching uh, nexus of Zionism as an ideology? Well, part, one, one major part of it is that this is a, a settler colonial project that was built in Palestine, created, realized in Palestine, although there were other options that the Zionist movement received from the British uh, colonial powers in Palestine, for example, Argentina or, uh, or uh, uh, Africa, parts of Africa. But uh, the Zionist movement rejected that. They created it in Palestine. And the project itself was built on the erasure of the Palestinian people from their land and erasing their very presence as a people, including their embodiment as humans, as well as their culture, their language, the food, the music, that cause everything else, because you need for Zionism to exist and legitimize itself as a legitimate movement. It needed to, to erase exactly like the U.S. and our other settler colonial states did with indigenous people. You have to eliminate the presence of the indigenous people in order to justify why is it that there was a land without people for a people without a land, which we know is a Zionist myth? That's one thing. But the other aspect of it is that it is there. It, uh, one of the things that we are uh, emphasizing on is that even though the whole question of equating Judaism with Zionism and saying that uh, uh, Jew Jewish experience, they call it one singular Jewish experience, is not the case. There are, first of all, Jewish experiences, and saying that there is one experience for Jews across time, place, uh, the histories, context, languages, uh, cultures, civilizations actually is a very uh, homogenizing and racist uh, labeling and stereotypical labeling. So there also we want to be able to also uh, have the Jewish scholars, the, Jew the Jewish scholars and histor historical figures and thinkers who have thought about how to address anti-Semitism, how to deal with an uh, anti-Semitism as, 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 as a as a scourge, as, a, as something against humanity anywhere around the world, as part and parcel of eliminating all forms of racism and racial discrimination and not exceptionalizing one experience over other experiences and thinking that it is more important or less important than others. Well, there are many uh, Jews who reject the conflation of Zionism with Jewishness. Uh, uh, they think Judaism has been hijacked by Zionism. Talk about this. Well, yeah, there are some people who are, let's say, Jewish scholars who are uh, placed themselves within the religious context, who believe that Judaism has been, uh, and Jewish scholars and activists and religious figures who believe that this is, uh, Judaism has been hijacked by Zionism. The other aspect of it is that Jewishness, which I want to distinguish from Judaism, because it also speaks about the cultural, ethnic uh, uh, 
creation and emergence of particular communities that have been targeted, for example, throughout Europe, throughout the ages, uh, uh, with attacks targeting Jews in particular. By the way, in contrast to the ways in which Jews, uh, Christians, uh, have lived and existed throughout, let's say, the Arab rule, the Arab Muslim rule, whether we talk about Andalusia or uh, throughout the, uh, the the Islam the Islamic uh, history, but this has been targeting. So this is something that it's really important to distinguish and separate, and 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 really make clear that we are talking about distinctions intellectually, politically, and practically for everyday life. And it's really important for our Jewish uh, colleagues who are also speaking in day in and day out not to be labeled self-hating Jews or to be dismissed by the Zionist establishment. And fortunately, today, actually, more and more and more people are speaking. Um, this is legitimate. But we also, the creation of the Institute is to create that and make a space, an intellectual space, a political space, an academic space to be able to study these issues and to free and, uh, and separate and divorce the whole discussion of Zionism from uh, anti-Semitism or say that it is Zionism is only is only the purview of people who are anti-Semitic and haters of uh, Jews. So this is part of the reason why we're trying. You have a conference coming up, your opening uh, conference. What is the theme? The theme of the conference is specifically to speak about, actually, this particular conference is going to focus on battling the IHRA, which is the, 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 the definition of anti-Semitism as created by the, by the Holocaust uh, group within Europe, that is very problematic because it does, uh, one of the ways in which it identifies anti-Semitism uh, is criticizing of Israel and criticizing of Zionism. And actually can stand one of the people who created this definition himself said this is problematic. He, re he regretted it. Unfortunately, at the time when he designed it, he didn't. He uh, passed it. And it has been uh, legitimized in multiple central European and Western spaces. However, there is a very strong uh, tide against that that challenges this kind of uh, equ equ equation and actually says that criticizing Israel, first of all, Israel is like any other state. Then th there is no such thing as singling Israel. You're actually treating Israel as any state that should be subject to accountability, to human rights conventions, to behavior like any other state. So there is no singling out Israel. Secondly, that criticizing Zionism as settler colonial uh, movement and ideology is totally legitimate and actually has, has uh, pre preceded the creation of Israel as a settler colonial project and has been propagated by many Jewish scholars themselves and thinkers and so on. And today there is many, and there is also more, more and more and more broadening spaces within Jewish communities across, including younger uh, generations who do not want Israel to speak in their name, who do not accept this definition of anti-Semitism. And I should say that we are 100% committed to the struggle against anti-Semitism. We are 100% committed to actually speak about the Holocaust as a huge tragedy of human life. We are very much committed to all, to standing for justice for all and freedom for all and all forms of anti-racism, uh, of racism. Uh, we want to make sure that we are not exceptionalizing Zionism and saying that Israel is above the law and Israel is exceptional to any other state. Your logo is a symbolic one. It reclaims the prickly pear, a suburb, uh, from a 1946, uh, 1946 poster celebrating Israel. That poster has orange trees and prickly pear cacti around modern colonial buildings. What does the prickly pear symbolize? Well, in uh, Palestinian culture, as you know, uh, the, the, the bear, the sabr, the sabr, the, the cactus itself, it means in Arabic patience, by the way. It doesn't only mean uh, the, the cactus itself, but it also symbolizes wherever you find it, you know that there has been a Palestinian village and a community that has been erased. So we know at least 530 Palestinian communities have been erased in 1948 before and after the Nakba and after actually the creation of the state of Israel, which is argues against the Israeli and Zionist claim that is the Zionists did it in order to be able to save themselves from Arab attacks on Palestinians, and uh, that uh, it, it continued to erase Palestinians to realize the Zionist project. It's also a very uh, sweet 
uh, inside. And it also uh, symbolizes that there has always been Palestinian life, same as the orange trees, same as the olive trees. And one of the main targets and uh, actually objectives of the Zionist movement realized through the Jewish National Fund was to erase, uh, uproot trees that are indigenous to the, to the environment and put in their places, pl plant trees that come from Europe and elsewhere, which is also explains why there are constantly fires that take place because the trees that they planted are, are, are foreign. They're not indigenous to the land and they are meant to hide the presence of Palestinian agriculture. So we were, we're putting this to challenge the Zionist narrative that makes certain claims that are not really based in reality, they're not factual, and also to uplift the Palestinian presence in Palestine and Palestinian indigenous relationship to the land, to the environment, to the culture around them. Let's segue into the ongoing efforts at San Francisco State University to uproot Palestine studies from its curriculum and the university's ongoing tactics to sideline you as a professor and director uh, of Ahmed, this would be the first year Palestine studies is not offered in ethnic studies. There is a petition out to have it reinstated. What's the status of the course now? Uh, the, the university has not uh, reinstated the course, but the university has not explained, not once, with every single meeting and every single statement with different officials, administrators at the university, why Palestine course was not uh, placed on the on the curriculum for the fall 2023. I have been teaching the course since 2009 at San Francisco State University. The course is quite popular. Students like to take it and like to take it with me because I'm a Palestine studies scholar and not only the director of Ahmed. So when we offer the course, students sign up all the time. So at one point we heard from the dean that she was told that the, our courses are under-enrolled. And I asked, I said, well, that's not really true because the last time I taught this course and the other course, that they removed my name and assigned one of my colleagues to pit us against each other. We both reject that. Uh, they were ne they were never listed. First, they were never listed on the on the uh, class schedule, which means how do you even know if it's going to be over enrolled or unenrolled? Secondly, I went and brought the data from before to show that the course the courses have been very well enrolled, exciting, and they offer multiple general education. Uh, the, the the requirements for the students, which means students across the university, especially now that the university is reducing the number of courses they are offering and uh, reducing the curriculum, we still do not understand why is it that the course is not being offered. So what we are doing, I'm actually offering the course as independent study. I've, uh, we put out uh, as um, a form for people to sign up for the for my three courses that I have already. In spring 2022, informed the university before I went on sabbatical, and I again renewed. Again, when I when I was about the when the classes were beginning, I began telling them again and again and again, these are the courses for me. These are the courses for Ahmed. But the university is intending to the, to dismantle Ahmed, so they didn't do it. So I'm actually offering the courses in the, as independent study, and we've had so many people sign up within San Francisco State and outside of San Francisco State. Yesterday, I held three one-hour uh, meetings with students who are interested to go over the curriculum, to go over the requirements. Students were very excited. And students from other places, like from, from Texas, from uh, Palestine, from Lebanon, from uh, uh, multiple other universities and so on, want to take the course because they believe that they need to learn about Palestine. Well, uh, let's make it clear. This is your signature course, isn't it? I mean, I mean, uh, let's, let's, let's backtrack here. Whose decision was it to remove it from the curriculum? Was it the chair? Was it uh, the president? I mean, who makes that decision? Uh, we, we believe that it was actually a co co combination of uh, administrators who were involved in it. Uh, a chair of a department in which Ahmed has been confined, and we believe that it dominates Ahmed, and Ahmed should not be, should be independent as per my contract in 2007 on the basis of which I was hired and joined San Francisco State University. And we lasted as an independent program all the way until 2016 when President Wong started attempting to escalate, to crush uh, Ahmed and to crush Palestine and to welcome Zionists to campus. If you recall, we've discussed this many times before. It was there. So it was a chair of a department. It was uh, interim deans, two interim deans of the College of Ethnic Studies. It was the uh, provost, 
the dean of faculty of San Francisco State and the president. And of course, we know that the cabinet, the, the small cabinet that's made up of vice president. So this decision has been made on multiple levels. I actually had a meeting with the union, with the new dean of the College of Ethnic Studies. And we discussed with her why this course is very popular, why this course is very excited, why Ahmed courses are very exciting, why it is necessary in the College of Ethnic Studies. Why is it that we should be in a place that celebrates the history of uh, spirit of 68? However, the university actually is only using that spirit for promotion and public relations, but has departed from the social justice. And they part of their project is to crush Ahmed of course, in relationship. And well, well, uh, let, let us wait a minute here. Crush Ahmed means to eliminate Ahmed. I mean, it seems to be every time we talk here with incremental cuts, course removals, uh, shutting down. This is the, the, the newest thing, shutting down your, your signature course, Palestine Studies. I mean, let's talk about Palestine Studies. This is a subject you are invited to lecture about all over the world. I mean, you're invited to to South Africa. This is where uh, apartheid, uh, the birthplace of apartheid, and now it's in, of course, in Palestine. It's the elephant in in the room when you talk about race and resistance, right? And this is the department. This is so. Who asked? You know, again, I mean, who asked for it to be removed? How can you have race and resistance without discussing Palestine? We uh, this is the whole this is the big uh, the big question and the only the only explanation I could come up with is that there is no way that this course would not have been listed when it's popular when it fulfills different GE requirements when students historically every single time I offered it like the first time we offered the Jamal right after we passed the Ahmed minor in 2015 there wasn't a single space in the room we couldn't actually have a space for more students even if we have a guest speaker. We would have to go borrow a chair. I mean, regardless of space, in my opinion, if you're going to eliminate courses, if you're going to discuss, if you're going to have a department called race and resistance, I mean, there are X number of cases of race of resistance, of at least contemporary ones. And one of the few that remain and, and is active, I mean, we could talk about race and resistance in the context of Algeria, but luck, you know, uh, you know, for Algerians, this, there was a victory and they were, were able to get rid of colonialism. But we have an existing and ongoing colonialism in Palestine. So when you remove this course, how can you justify race and resistance? Exactly, Jamal, because the whole question, if you want to talk about race and racism and racial discrimination, I mean, it's not only Palestinians who have uh, labeled Israel as an apartheid state. It has been labeled by Israeli human rights organization, B'Tselem, Human Rights Watch, Amnesty International, United Nations, several bodies, and so on. Many and more and more people are already considering Israel and recognizing the, the experience of the Palestinians that this is a racist settler colonial state. Also, more and more and more people recognize, as per the United Nations Charter, that people who are under colonialism, under repression, under oppression, have the right to resist in order for them to free themselves. So it, to me, it's really baffling for this program to be doing this to actually basically erase Palestine. That that uh, the, the, the course, by the way, was approved by every single department in the College of Ethnic Studies when I uh, proposed it for general education. And it is part of American ethnic and minority relations uh, and social justice and global perspectives and upper division in social sciences. So it's really required. When I proposed it, I went to every single department in the College of Ethnic Studies. At that time, by the way, race and resistance study was not a department. But I went to every and I discussed it and every single department approved the course for the college itself to approve the course as a College of Ethnic Studies. That's why it's called Palestine Ethnic Studies Perspective. But we do know that there are problems in the ways that the chair of the race and resistance studies has even offered, even though I do not recognize Ahmed as being dominated or content or colonized by race and resistance studies, the chair of the, the race and resistance studies has made so many mistakes, has made so many problems. So there is also a, a, a technical bureaucratic issue in which a chair is making so many blunders. For example, assigning uh, uh, somebody who's doing psychology to teach a comparative literature, Arab and Arab-American comparative literature course, when we actually have a faculty member 
specialty PhD in in an Arab and Arab American literature assigning my course colonialism imperialism and resistance which is upper division in social sciences to my colleague whose specialty is comparative literature was in the humanities not even the social sciences canceling a whole bunch of courses that are very much required for the armed miter violating the roadmap that we adopted when the minor was approved in order for the students to finish the minor within two years, firing a whole many lecturers in the community who are very respected, qualified, who are very loved by the students, whose students are attracted to the classes. There is a consistent effort to dismantle the Ahmed Studies program because um, I believe because Ahmed Studies speaks about Palestine and this is a no-no for the university's partners. Is, the, is San Francisco State anti-Palestinian? I mean, yes. that's the question. How are you being treated in your capacity as, as a scholar? This is an institution that did nothing to support you when a Zionist group covered the campus with hateful caricature post posters of you and others and incited people to harass you and your students by publishing their names and, and addresses. And but, four times, by the way, it wasn't just one time. It was first time they didn't, and it was four times that David Horowitz uh, and the, the Canary Mission put the posters of me, of my colleagues and our students all over campus. And the university claims that this is freedom of speech issue for the right wing. Of course, our freedom of speech is never respected because, you know, when our class, open classroom by me and Dr. Tomomi Kenakawa was shut down by Zoom, the university president said, defended Zoom, that it has uh, the right to its private, uh, uh, its private contract, even though Zoom has a contract with California State University of 400,000 plus users, which means you're supposed to be receiving uh, services in return, and the university did not offer us an alternative classroom. For me as a scholar, Jamal, I was on sabbatical for a, for a year. Before I went on sabbatical, and after we won three major victories, unprecedented victories last year, unanimous uh, resolutions by our colleagues in faculty here in panels who are selected randomly by an agreement, by, by uh, LOTO, by an agreement, by the university and the union, three uh, panels, which means nine professors who took the time to sit down and rule about it, voted, ruled in my favor and favor Dr. Kinakawa and ordered the university to apologize to us, to reinstate the, the class that was shut down, to build the Ahmed Studies program, to hire the faculty that were in my contract in 2007, recognize that there was a breach of my contract. Now, uh, before I went on sabbatical, I actually suggested to the university wrote and said, we should hire an interim director for Ahmed because for 17 years, I've been the only faculty member to mind Ahmed while I'm gone. They didn't. I took the time to, they, the, the university president said, we were going to hire somebody for Ahmed. So I took the time to set up a search committee of established scholars across the university. The search committee was shut down by the chair of race and resistance studies, but I don't believe that she is working on her own. She has all these powers of the establishment behind that because nobody will be allowed to make all these blunders and get away with it unless they have big powers behind them. I also selected the courses for Ahmed and for myself before I left in, 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 uh, in uh, spring 2022. And then I went on and I did, uh, I organized the teaching Palestine conferences, as you know, in Lebanon and in uh, Tunisia in September 222, the dean at the time, the interim dean, wrote me an email saying I'm not allowed to use Ahmed Studies or the university in doing this, even though this has been a program since 2018 and the university, we've, we've, it's been public. And then she said, you're not allowed. If you'd like to do it in your personal capacity, go ahead. And I said, why would I do anything in my personal capacity? And I asked the union, have, has anybody, any scholar ever, ever been demanded to submit to risk management project, projects they're doing outside? They said, no. I said, okay, so you take care of it. I'm going to go and do my project. I come back from sabbatical. When you come back from sabbatical, all academic norm, every single academic knows that. When you come back, you are never asked to actually teach courses that you haven't taught. You are never asked to do anything as outside of your research because this, you go, you come back from sabbatical, you've done your research, you're able to be doing that. Jamal, I've been for two months of the last two months of my sabbatical battling over the Ahmed courses, battling with the university. On top of it also, I have disabilities, as you know, and the Disabilities Office of the University, which is by the American with Disabilities Act, 
actually refused to accommodate me for my physical disabilities and for my safety. And when I shared with them questions about my safety, every time they have a due turnover. And I said, but you really need to study the file because I'm dealing with an institution. I'm not dealing with individuals. I'm not, it's not pers personalized with them. I said, I showed them, I talked to them about this. We showed them the, the, the death threat letters. We showed them the multiple letters and so on. They responded to me saying, no, we're not going to give you accommodation. We refuse to allow you uh, accommodation. And then they, they said, you're self-reporting threat. I said, what do you mean self-reporting? You're actually questioning my veracity again. And you have all the documentation. I mean, everybody knows that. So quick question, if yeah. quick question, if any other professor did that, reported that they've been threatened and uh, they had posters uh, all over campus, would they have been denied security? I don't think so. I mean, they would. Uh, the university will have their back and will stand up and will speak about it, especially because, I'm, you know, I'm quite accomplished. I, if I say so, I... But, I've received multiple hours. By the way, the university has not said to me, any university administrator so said to me, congratulations for all the hours. Instead, in the time, actually, when you would think the university would want to boast. And that what they did, actually, with the Ahmed Facebook, our page, on the university website, they removed all the Arabic and they put a big box, donate. If you want to donate, Shouldn't you be taking advantage of the accomplishments of the, the director of Ahmed? Shouldn't you be building the program? Shouldn't you be supporting it? Also, there is a very discri this, uh, the, 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 uh, discriminatory uh, treatment of me and other professors. For example, for, I, I requested online teaching in order to accommodate my disabilities and my security issues. And the universe said, no, everybody is supposed to teach two courses online, one course in person. But there are nine faculty members in the College of Ethnic Studies we're teaching fully online. So uh, we've asked, why is that the case? No answers. Why is Palestine not, uh, not offered? No answers. Why are you assigning my two courses, gender and modernity and colonialism, imperialism, at the same time? And you're putting me and my colleague against each other, even though their specialty is humanities, not social sciences. The university refused. So, so the, bottom the bottom line, really, the bottom line, the university does not want to teach anything about Palestine, and they want to really just gloss over the topic and pretend that they're providing some equality, you know, to all students, and they're not. They're not even pretending, Jamal. I mean, the whole the agreement that the university president did with the Hillel International, the academic engagement network in the spring of 2022, and which has been dissected by a team of scholars, social science scholars, because it has problematic faulty methodology in itself on a basis of social sciences. Its conclusions do not uh, do not reflect what uh, this, th their own data previews. We do not know who is this body that they hired to do it. The university president came out and actually endorsed it and had the whole team of university officials involved in this. So you let's count also calculate how much money and resources have gone into it. We haven't seen a study about uh, anti-Palestinian uh, racism in San Francisco State, anti-Arab discrimination. We haven't seen anything about Islamophobia. We haven't seen any of this stuff. And by the way, there is also complaints from the Africana studies, where there's complaints from black uh, professors and so on. Uh, some of them had the university claims that they support, but they don't, they don't this is why this is why the Institute for uh, the Critical Study of Zionism in such an is such an important initiative. Um, I commend you and the others involved in its founding for undertaking this. And uh, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you about and how many times we've been talking about this topic with San Francisco State University. But I also commend you on on your resilience. Uh, basically, as you said. Uh, uh, the anti-colonialism resilience, because it seems that San Francisco State University is also wants to join in, in the venture of colonizing anything about Palestine. That's 100% true. I will just say that we are actually very proud to have the Institute for the Critical Study of Zionism. Uh, we are very proud to offer the, the classes, even though San Francisco State is refusing to endorsement. I am not going to be silent. I'm going to continue doing what I what I chose as my career, career and what I contracted with San Francisco State University. I should say that the university already threatened me with disciplinary measures uh, as, as of Friday. They haven't responded to the classes and so on. 
they claim that my courses, my independent study, this is all voluntary. I'm doing it for free. It's not part of my job, that mentoring students and teaching them. I believe that right is on our side, and I believe that we are doing the right thing. We have to keep speaking up. We have to hold San Francisco State accountable, and we have to speak truth to power and teach what we need to teach because this is about justice, it's about racism, it's about education, it's about informing. This is our mission in life, and we're not going to back down. Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi, uh, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you for having me. I appreciate everything that you do and KPOO 100, the only black station in San Francisco that hosts Arab Talk. That's the voice and the face of Dr. Rabab Abdelhadi discussing her recent article in Mondovis entitled, Why We Created the Institute for the Critical Study of Zionism. Well, Jamal, a fantastic interview. Uh, Dr. Abdelhadi is an extraordinary person, academic scholar, who we've been reporting on this show for many, many years, the vicious attacks that she's come under for her scholarship and for basically calling out uh, the racist principles of the apartheid state. So uh, not wanting to step away from any kind of uh, academic inquiry, she decided, together with some other colleagues, to create this new institute. And of course, you know, she's being viciously attacked because she's making this, oh, just kind of uh, important distinction that many people make, that there's a distinction between Judaism and Zionism, and we what we know is that uh, pro-Israel apartheid forces are attempting to shrink that and eliminate any distinction. So this this is a very important uh, project that she's undertaking. It, it's very important. It's uh, it's actually one of a kind, and it includes scholars from all over. It's not just her scholars, of course, Jewish scholars, who are trying to debunk this whole myth about conflating uh, criticism of Israel with anti-Semitism, that's one. And of course, how Zionism, if Zionism is an ideology, which it is, which was created in Europe, why should it be discussed as any other ideology? So you discuss Zionism, you discuss communism, you discuss socialism, and so on. Exactly. And it's, it's, that's exactly the position, Jamal, that it should be critically analyzed along with any other ideology. But uh, we, we kind of know why uh, Dr. Abdul Hadi is being attacked is because, as we've talked about on the show many of times, this is a time when the apartheid state is being criticized at a much intense level globally right now, including by many Israeli citizens, by many international human rights uh, organizations. So there's always this push-pull, as we've identified, Jamal, between people coming out and calling out the apartheid and the racism uh, and the backlash against, uh, you know, the pro-Israel forces. I mean, this is kind of the topic du jour, right? Mm -hmm. This is leads into all of our other topics. Yeah, and, and we've covered this. I mean, we've covered this before. We covered this last week in the UK with another professor who lost his, right. his job, and we've had others we've had on the show it's basically trying to muzzle any kind of debate about uh, Israel, about apartheid, or even debate about Zionism. So kudos to Dr. Abdel Hadi and uh, her institute, and we wish her the best of luck. Moving on to the next topic, just, uh, and, and you introduced it, you had a very good introduction, which is really yet, this is another yet another failure uh, of the Mossad because, you know, if you turn on Netflix, they lionize the Mossad and how, you know, this basically it's a, uh, a bunch of assass assassins who are at the Mossad. Right. And, and I just want to take people's memory, their memory back to the biggest uh, debacle that they've had with in the UAE a few years ago right. with the assassination of Al-Mabhuh. Uh, when all their faces and their MOs were plastered all over the newspapers because they left all the traces, including their pictures and Everywhere. and copies of their passports. Everywhere. And and that shows how they operate. They enter Arab countries under dual citizenship. So they had all these passports from, if you recall, at the UAE, from all the way from Australia right. to the UK and other countries coming into the UAE as tourists and business 
persons to commit an assassination on his territory. And so they were uncovered, in, in short. And so this is another reason. This is not the, the first debacle that they've had in, in Beirut, by the way, or in Lebanon, because they're always trying. And this is now what you have is two Russians. Well, we said two two spies. Uh, it's the main one is the husband, and then he was traveling with his wife on a Russian passport. And I've just a few minutes ago got a copy of his passport because it has been posted on Lebanese sites. He's carrying a Russian passport and who went to the area where Hezbollah, uh, basically spying on Hezbollah. That's the, the focus he was in, 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 in the area yeah, near the headquarters of uh, Hezbollah's um, uh, southern suburbs of Beirut in South, South Lebanon on a reconnaissance a mission uh, of their headquarters got busted. Uh, he was traveling with his wife and child as a cover on a Russian passport. Man, not very bright, Jamal. That, that's the thing, and I think you, you nailed it. I mean, the mythology about the Mossad has to be juxtaposed against the reality of the Mossad, which is it's kind to call them assassins. They're state-sponsored assassins, but they make really horrible mistakes and miscalculations all the time. And so my question to you is, when is the mytho- when is the reality going to catch up with uh, mythology? Because they screw up all the time. Yeah, and, and I said, this is, I mean, it's not a big story. It hasn't made headlines. Uh, headlines here, no. You, you know, so it's, it's just basically in passing, they have it out there. It's like, okay, this is what happened. And, yet, and this is another failure. Of course, Israel, Israel now hasn't admitted that. Okay. Well, of course. Uh, the Russian embassy said it was unaware of its citizen uh, being there, and uh, and then eventually Israel will resurface as as it has done in the past, just uh, by negotiating. Every time, right. by the way, they what the people out they negotiated with Hezbollah, and is Hezbollah extracted a large number of. Uh, Either uh, either corpses of fighters and civilians, Lebanese civilians, or or detainees that Israel had in its uh, jails. But I think this is uh, a telling story, Jamal, because it fits within the general analysis that we're doing today and have been doing for a number of months and years right now, which is the failure of the apartheid state to function in any kind of meaningful democratic way. I mean, basically, the patina of this mythology of the, uh, of, of the apartheid state of Israel um, is, is kind of peeling off. The patina about it being a democracy, the, t- the patina of it being well-functioning, all of that is falling away. And I think we're beginning now to see the reality of what Palestinians and the rest of the world are facing on a day-to-day basis, which is this brutal, apartheid, racist, oppressive state. And that leads to our second uh, storage mode, which I don't understand, frankly. I don't mean, so you have a minister saying, well, there's no apartheid, but it is a prison. Help me wrap my mind around that. Okay, so this is the minister of heritage, and I'm not going to discuss his title, the minister of whose heritage and what heritage <laughs> and all that, okay? Does this include Palestinian heritage? You know, the indigenous Palestinian heritage? But anyway, his title is minister of Her- heritage, and he's Amichai Ilyahu, and he's uh, uh, in the, um, let me remember that quickly, the, the party. Uh, oh, he's in the Otsma uh, Yehudit party, uh, part of uh, the Israeli government. And he's on a, on a talk show and, uh, and he says, there is no apartheid in, in the West Bank. This is not an apartheid. It is a prison. <laughs> and, in, and, and a prison. This is a prison. And by the way, Israelis and their surrogates, they get angry when you say that uh, Gaza is the largest open-air prison in the world. Now he's saying the entire West Bank, this is a prison. So in a prison, prisoners don't have human rights. That's what he was saying. Prisoners are denied his or her, he said the prisoner, this I'm paraphrasing, is denied his or her human rights and civil rights, and therefore they don't have human rights because... All the Palestinians who are living in the West Bank are basically living in a prison. And, and, 
we just we don't have to treat them like human beings. We have to treat them all like criminals. They don't have a human rights. But there is no apartheid. What a crazy, crazy. So as a, as a therapist, explain that to me. <laughs> I mean, that state of mind. I, maybe it's called. Moving. It's no. It's easy, Jamal. It's called delusional. I call it. It's it's. And I said it at the beginning. It's kind of a Trumpian delusional analysis where you look at reality and then you just say whatever you want to say as if that's that's the reality or the truth. It's 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 a complete delusion. And by the way, just to show how how crazy the minister is, actually prisoners do have rights, and the really painful. Not according to him. No civil rights. No no human rights. No. What I'm trying to say is, according to international law, even in 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 this country and in and most countries throughout the world, prisoners do have rights. But he is right about one thing. Palestinians are denied their rights. Whether or not they're indigenous to their land in Gaza, West Bank, or Jerusalem, or in historic Palestine, they have every single right denied at its most basic and fundamental level. Whether or not he calls it a prison or not is immaterial, because actually prisoners internationally do have certain rights, more than Palestinians have right now. And the reality is the distinction between, well, it's a prison and not apartheid is kind of crazy. It's a crazy, crazy uh, distinction and analysis. But why should we be surprised? Right? Well, this is the era that we're living under. I mean, I say keep keep it coming, Jess, because with people like him and Itmar Ben-Gavir and others, this exposes the veneer the veneer that Israel has created around on, around itself with uh, people like, you know, uh, let's say U.S. educated uh, Benjamin Netanyahu who can come with a smile to the United States, United Nations, act like the victim and talk about democracy. And then everybody here laps it up, including, of course, our uh, representatives in Congress. And then, but the reality these are the people who are running, and this is their leadership. These are the people who are running the country. They're in, left in charge of, of uh, two and a half million Palestinians, or almost three million Palestinians living in the West Bank, and two and a half million in Gaza, and whatever. They're under their control. They have to deal with people like like this fellow, and then of course moving to our next story, which is my, my other favorite, my other favorite uh, minister. Itamar Ben-Gavir, who, who went after supermodel Bella Hadid and, and called her an Israel hater. Uh, I mean, this is, this is basically, he denounced her because just uh, she replied to his tirade, I would say, and, and hateful speech by saying that my right, and I'm here, I, I have the quote, the right of my wife and my children to move around Judea and Samaria in reference to the West Bank is more important than freedom of movement of the Arabs. The right to life comes before freedom of movement. Sorry, Muhammad, but that's the reality. You know, another kind of racist, racist comment to say it. The way he said it, the way he, the way he phrased it, and of course he drew a lot of backlash not only from Palestinians, but also from Israelis and, and others and, and the international community, right? So, of course, uh, Bella Hadid, uh, she posted something on Instagram. She has millions of followers. And she said, what you said, she said, in no place, no time, especially in 2023, should one life be more valuable than others, especially simply because of their ethnicity, culture, or pure hatred. Do you find anything wrong with this statement, Jess? Oh, it, it's uh, it was an amazingly in in of and I'll say it was a fantastic statement, very nuanced, unprovocative, and it's a statement that anyone who isn't hateful and racist would agree with. I mean, this is not what I would say to Ben Gavir personally. You know, I would say something else, but you know, the one thing about Bella Hadid and the Hadid sisters, and we want to remind our listeners, they are Palestinian-Americans. Uh, their father's Palestinian. They have been incredible in terms of articulating their concerns about human rights for not just Palestinians, Jamal, but human rights across the globe. Uh, Anti-racist, anti-oppression, human rights advocates, together with their supermodel statuses, 
They have been incredible, and they've always been on the right side of justice. So I, I want to go back to something you said. I think it's fantastic that Ben Gavir chose to attack Bella Hadid because it, it was so ridiculous what he said, so outrageous. And of course, keeping in what, I, what I've said, the apartheid ministers, the racist Israeli ministers, never miss an attempt to overstep and overreach uh, on their crazy racist behavior. So I agree with you. I say to Ben Gavir and all the come on, <laughs> bring it on, man. bring it on. You're just you're just making yourself look incredible. I mean that the reality of who you are. This is the this is the reality. But then again, we have to say it for the thousand times. Then you have our representatives oh, yeah. led by Hakeem Jeffries. Hakeem Jeffries. And the mayor of the mayor of New York, the mayor of San Francisco, and others who just go there on junkets and go on a on a love fest tour and come back to tell us that Israel is a democracy. It's uh, sickening, beyond sickening, and and just to dovetail on this, Jamal, because there is an interesting juxtaposition going on right now because you have all these uh, Gulf countries and all these kinds of statements about negotiations to expand the Abraham Accords, whether or not Saudi Arabia is going to you know, recognize the apartheid state, whether or not the visa waiver program is going to go through. So we have this crazy juxtaposition of an opening of embracing an apartheid state with condemnation of its crazy, racist, oppressive, Islamophobic, and, and hateful kind of uh, policies that, that are being directed towards Palestinians. So it's a very kind of, you know, disturbing, but yet interesting time with all of these juxtapositions going on right now. That's right, Jess. And before we leave, uh, and this is something we've had a guest on our program a few months ago who was the first uh, person who spoke against Google and saying no tech to right. apartheid, if you recall that. But yes. tomorrow in San Francisco, at, at the Moscone Center, there's a big demonstration at the Google conference, which is going to be there in tomorrow, tomorrow, I should say, Tuesday, uh, August 29th. And uh, they'll be demonstrating against Google and sending a strong message to tell them no tech to apartheid. Well, we'll be reporting on that, I'm sure. You'll be listening to Arab Talk on, K on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to download the latest shows and we'll talk to you next week. See you next week. <laughs>